0: All right, Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. The last time, the last time we were in Romans chapter eight, we made it what thirty-seven minutes into the sermon, and the power went off. So, uh, so hopefully it doesn't happen today. Now we had a listener who sent me a backup system that we can hook up, and then if the power goes out, at least the computer will keep working, and the internet will keep working. So then I could at least bring the sermon to a conclusion. So uh, we haven't we haven't got it hooked up yet and got everything uh, set up. But uh, so th- someone sent that to us, so we're thankful for a listener who did that. Clearly they want uh, well they want to hear the end of my sermon, I guess. So but I guess in, uh, we we would be all sitting in the dark and I could bring bring the sermon to an end. But but at least I could bring it to some kind of a conclusion, other than it's just in the middle. I left that sermon. I just left it there because by the time I, I got home, it had already been sent everywhere, so there was no point in trying to go find it, so, um but, uh, well, the mic would work for, yeah, all of that would, back there, would keep working, so, now, I don't know about the overhead speaker would work, but. Everything back there, we keep working. The main thing, it would give me the ability to bring the sermon to an end so that it, because there's nothing worse when you're either, even when I'm just up here doing podcasting, there's nothing worse than being 40 minutes into it and then the power goes up. There's, I mean, that's like, you want to lay on the floor and just start screaming because the only option is either leave it there or delete it and do it again. And, And then it's like, that's, yeah. That, that's uh, discouraging. So I, I know we, it all ended in the middle. So well, all we can really do is try to kind of put this all back together and hopefully um, make this all make sense. So let's do this. Romans chapter 8, we all know where we are. We've been now here for a very long time. And we're in Romans chapter 8, and what are we looking at? Six words, right? okay? <laughs> okay, y'all are scaring me there. Okay, we've been covering this now for like a year. Okay, Wait, six words, and what are the six words that we are looking at? They're all found in Romans chapter eight. What's the first one? Foreknowledge. Second, predestination. Okay, well, let's just go, let's go open up to Romans 8. Let's just go through this again, okay? All right? Romans chapter 8. Okay, let's go through this. All right, here we go. All right, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 29. The first word is, For whom he did For no, he also did predestinate. There's the first two words, right? Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also... So what's the third word? Called. So what's the first three words again? Number one, foreknowledge. Number two, number three, called. All right. Whom he called, justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. All right. How many does that give us? Five, right? And so there's one more. Where is it? Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. All right. So what are the six words? One more time. I got to make sure we know these. All right. Number one, foreknowledge. Number two, predestination. Number three, called. Number four, justified. Number five, glorified. Number six, elect. All right, we've got to know these six words. Now, the reason we have to know these six words is because these six words are the source of what within Christianity? Not only controversy, but complete division. Some of these things, you even start teaching on it, Well, I mean, I know, you even just start studying it, you'll get thrown out of a Bible institute where you thought that was the place you're supposed to study. Okay, so, and in fact, it can split an entire church. So these are controversial words. Now, the thing is, it drives me crazy that churches would split and Christians get so mad over words that are literally right there in your Bible. This is not like some doctrine where you're like, well, I don't know what, like, for example, the book of Revelation, you can look at some of those chapters and you can do a lot of what? Uh, well, could be this, it, it could be that. Maybe these are six words. All you got to do is figure out what the words actually mean and then figure out, based off what they mean, how we develop a theology that explains them. Why are they so controversy, controversial? I do not know, but you know what it demonstrates to me. And this, and this goes all the way back to the first message I did when we started Romans a couple years ago. It comes down to this. And this is just this is like Christianity 101. If you get into Christianity because you think you're going to get what you want, you need to get out of Christianity today. Christianity begins with a call to do what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, which means die and follow whom? Right, not yourself. Christianity is a religion that's not about us. I, sometimes I wish the world would have a better understanding of that. They're like, "Well, you as Christians, you're hypocrites." Well, of course we're going to be hypocrites because we're following a system that we can't even keep. That's the whole reason for the cross. That doesn't excuse it, but that, that immediately nobody is going to get out of Christianity without not being a hypocrite. Well, you know what? I take that. I take that back. Because hypocrisy is when you pretend to be something that you're not. We all should be acknowledging constantly that we are what? Sinners. So therefore you're not a hypocrite if you're acknowledging you're a sinner, correct? Right? You're, if you're putting on a mask pretending to be something you're not. But so many times uh, Christians, they, they think that they can make Christianity what they want it to be. It, it makes no sense. It, like, it, it's, to this day, it just blows my mind. Like anyone who's part of the LGBTQ world, right? why they would want to associate with Christianity. Why? Why would you want to associate with Christianity when Christianity condemns your lifestyle, right? Now, unless you're acknowledging that your lifestyle is sinful, but they want Christianity and an acknowledgement that their lifestyle is not sinful. Well, you know what? You know what I want to say to everyone in the LGBTQ world? Get in line, right? If you want to be a part of Christianity and you don't want Christianity to condemn you... I would like to be in Christianity, and it doesn't condemn me. Okay, right? Like, get in line. Like, well, I don't believe the Bible condemns homosexuality. Okay, well, then I don't believe the Bible condemns lust. I don't believe the Bible condemns anger. I don't believe Like, let's just start changing it all, right? So so I just want you to realize that when you get into Christianity, the fact that these six words create such controversy tells me that it, it, that, Our whole approach to Christianity is wrong. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first word was foreknowledge. What were the basic things we learned about foreknowledge? The basic things. It involves knowledge. Number two, knowledge beforehand. And then number three, to foreordain something. Right? So when we talk about God having foreknowledge, it, it, it clearly involves that He knows something, and we believe He knows what. All things. number two, He knows all things. what? Beforehand, and then number three, He ordains things, which really adds a whole new a whole new uh, dynamic to it, all right? Now that brings us to the next word, which is. Predestination. Okay, so let's go back, and I know some of this is doing our basic work, but that's that that we've already done. But let's do it one more time. Okay, so if, if you have the Blue Letter Bible app, you can open that. I'm just going to literally walk us through this one more time. Romans chapter eight, so that we can all know exactly what we are referring to here. So Romans chapter eight, verse twenty nine. For whom he did, for no, he also did. Predestinate, and remember the word "predestinate." Here is this word. Here we go. It's this Greek word. Strong's G forty three oh nine. Prarizo. All right. And prairizo is used how many times in the King James? Six. Four times it's translated what? Predestined. One time. Determined before. One time. Ordain. Now, this really, like the foreknowledge, you can try to just say, well, it just means to know. It just means to know. The predestination goes way beyond. Because now it's doing what? It's, it's to determine beforehand. It's to ordain, which even foreknowledge carries the idea. Strong's definition means what? Strong's definition is to limit in advance, to predetermine, to determine before, to ordain, to predestinate. Okay. Uh, the outline of biblical usage to determine, to, to, to predetermine, decide beforehand in the New Testament of God decreeing from eternity to foreordain or appoint beforehand. Simply put, this is God determining what's going to happen when? Before it happens. All right. And remember the places it's used. It's used in Acts 428, which reads, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined, before to be done, Romans eight twenty nine. We have Romans eight thirty, uh, which uh, moreover whom he did predestinate. And then we have First Corinthians two seven. But we speak of the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world uh, unto our glory. Ephesians one five, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Ephesians one eleven, and whom also we have obtained inherit, inheritance, being what predestinated according to the purpose of whom? Of him, which is God, who does what? Works all things after the counsel of his own will. So predestined means to predetermine. God knows, God predetermines. God knows and God predetermines. God knows and God predetermines. I don't know how you get out of this. Like ever, Christian, many Christians just start going crazy at this point, going, "No, no, no! It can't mean this, and it can't mean this, and what about this, and what about that?" Don't ask me about what about this, what about that. You deal with what the word means. Right? And again, I remember the, the, the big conflict I had over this. I remember, again, standing in the lobby of the Twin Cities Baptist Church in Papillion, Nebraska, holding a strong school coordinates going, What does the word mean? Okay. And like every, cause they were all arguing with me. And I'm like, Just tell me what the word means. But they would not say what the word means. And when people won't say what the word means, that tells you there's something horribly wrong with their theology. Agreed? Okay, when you have to spend more time explaining away the word, that that's 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 a problem. It's like when you get into an argument about infant baptism, and then they got to explain away. Well, I mean, the Bible doesn't really say it, but you know, hey, households were baptized, so that has to mean it. And it's like you're really that's going to be your argument, you know? And so when you have to get into those kinds of, of discussions, so let's go let's go back and try to put together as much information as we can about predestined, predetermined. Uh, because we need to uh, understand this to the best of our ability. All right, here we go. Predestination. I'm going to be relying on a couple of systematic theologies, a lot of different things, uh, encyclopedias, just a lot of things so that we have a good understanding. Predestination in its broadest concept is the doctrine that because God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and completely sovereign he from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Now, that that sounds pretty... That that comes from the Westminster. It's same in the London Baptist Confession. So let's go through this. We have predestination, yes? All right. Predestination is a doctrine that because of these following things, God is what? Number one, all-powerful. Number two... All-knowing. Number three, completely sovereign. Now, I want you to just realize this. If God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing, then whatever comes to pass, right? God obviously knew it was going to come to pass, yes? And if God is all-powerful, that means that he did what? He chose it to happen, right? Because he could have stopped it. And you can't say, well, God never violates people's free will. That's just a bunch of garbage. Did Pharaoh get a big choice in the matter? Okay, right? There's some situations where God just, God just in, pl- places on something what's going to happen. Yes? Right? I mean, Pharaoh's heart's being hardened. People say, well, he hardened his heart first. Well, you can try to argue it all day, but the point is God will impose whatever he wants. Did, did, how about Paul? When it was Saul on, his, on the road to Damascus, did he get a choice there? He was struck blind. So I'm just saying that he can insert himself whenever he wants to insert himself. Okay? Sometimes, uh, and so, it yeah, doesn't matter. So he's, the, the, I, I just want you to realize that the minute you say those following things, I want to just make sure you realize this. The minute you say God is all-powerful and all-knowing, you've run into philosophical problems. An all-knowing God created a world where he knew exactly what was going to happen. Yes? So why create it? He's all-powerful, so why didn't he use his power to ensure that it didn't happen the way that it actually happened? The only conclusion you can come to is that somehow it's all part of what? Do I like that? Again, if you, want, if you came into Christianity to get what you want, you need to get out of Christianity. Because it's not about what we want. It's just not. I wish it was. It's not, all right? Um, And and then then we can throw in the completely sovereign. I want to make sure you realize the fact that he's all-powerful and all-knowing creates the problem before you ever get to the fact that he's all-sovereign. And because he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-sovereign, then predestination is the doctrine that from all eternity, he did by the most wise and holy counsel of whose will? His own will. He did what? Freely? and unchangeably ordain what? Whatever comes to pass. In him, now, and then they they quote Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained the inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. That literally says it. Like, there's sometimes I'm just baffled why there can be, how can you dispute that? The scriptures literally says that he works all, what? all things according to the counsel of what? His own will. That's, how, can you, how, how can there be any argument against that? I, I don't know how there can be an argument against that, but it's literally right there. All right, now, we talked a little bit about predestination in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doctrine of predestination is most vivid in God's choice of Israel to be a light to those around them. Moses, speaking of Israel, says of them, "'For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. "'The Lord your God has chosen you "'to be a people for his treasured possession. "'Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, "'it was not because you were more in number,' than any other people that the Lord set his love on and chose you. For you are f- the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Why is that significant? Because it shows God chose whom? Israel. And he chose them for what purpose? His purpose. And did he choose them because they were better? No. Did he choose them because they were more righteous? No. Did he choose them because they were more in number? No. Did he choose them because of their power? No. Why did he choose them? His own will. Right? His own will. Now, that, that's very important. And now, isn't it amazing that no one has a problem with God choosing Israel? But if you say God chooses us, then everyone loses their minds. Okay. Isn't that fun? No, I have no problem that God chose Israel. Okay. Well, why, why wouldn't you have a problem that God chose Israel? What about all the other nations? Why, why, does no one, why do Christians not get upset over that fact? Were there not other nations all over the place? Well, why would God choose that nation, those people over the other nations? Why would he choose the Jews over the Gentiles? That doesn't seem fair. Does it seem fair to you? You say, well, because in fact, what was Israel to typically do with the other nations? Were they to come in and give them a gospel presentation? No, were they to come in and give them, you know, (laughs) a gospel, were they to go out handing out gospel tracts? And In, in ma- most cases, they were to come in and do what to them? Kill. And who were they to kill? Man? Woman? Child? In many cases, even the animals. <laughs> okay. that's a, I, How come no one gets upset about that? That, that always blows my mind. It's like you, if you talk about these six words, everyone gets upset. But nobody has a problem with all of that going on in the Old Testament. By the time I get to Romans, I should already be like, okay, nothing. I'm I'm prepared for anything, right? But it's like, all of a sudden people see Romans 8, they lose their minds. I'm like, did you not read the rest of the Bible? Because I got some serious issues going on here. But you know why? You know why we don't care about that? Because it doesn't affect us in the present. We don't care if people in the past got messed over. Just don't mess up me or my family. Isn't it amazing how that works? That's human depravity, right? Right? Hey, because if you lived back then, you may have been a little upset that you were a Gentile and God had chosen that nation and that nation was coming to kill you. You may not have been so cool with that. Do you, am I the only one? Okay, I guess I'm the only one. I would have been a little upset about the situation. Okay, but that was God choosing, correct? He chose Israel over the other nations. There's no way to get around it. What, what, did, what did Israel get that the other nations didn't get? Just think of some of the things they got that other nations didn't get. Well, they got a, absolute, a, a clear proof that God existed over and over and over again. I mean, I don't know how much more proof you could have, right? I mean, what was, in, what was uh, there in the Holy of Holies or in the tabernacle? Shekinah glory, which sometimes we refer to it as, right? He led them how? Pillar of fire, Right? Cloud? Yes? He spoke directly to some of them, right? He spoke directly to Abraham, spoke directly to Moses, right? Okay, that's pretty good. What else did they get? They got a sacrificial system to, to take care of their sins. Other nations didn't get that, right? Other nations wouldn't have even know anything about what was going on. They were given God's revelation, they were given God's law, they were given God's word, they were given priests. Think of all the things they received. And someone said, land. They were given a covenant. Nobody else received that. Is that that unfair? Let me make it clear. Yes, it was unfair, right? But we never want God to be fair because if God is fair, what happens to the entire earth? We're all in hell. That would be, wouldn't that be fair? I mean, because we're all sinners, right? Now, you could say it's unfair that God created me knowing I was going to be a sinner. We could go philosophically, you can back it up, but that's what you do. I just think it's weird that nobody gets upset about God choosing Israel. I just, I just find it always so weird that nobody seems upset about that. But if you talk about God choosing anyone now, then everybody loses. Well, if He chose people in the past, isn't it a pretty good indicator that He will probably choose people in the present? Maybe? I don't know. Um, it is important to note that God chose them to be a treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Not because they were more in number than any other people, because the Lord loved them and, and, and keeping the oath that He swore to His fathers. Also from the context, it is clear that Israel was involved in God's plan, but so was Egypt. God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would refuse to let them go. Thus, from the beginning of history, the predestined plan of God is evident and the redemption of his people. And it's true. Everything that happened to Israel was God's predetermined plan. The Old Testament writers viewed history as occurring in God's sovereign and predestined plan. I I want you to hear that. The Old Testament viewed that everything that happened was a part of God's sovereign and predestined plan. So how do you view history? Do you believe history is, a, is simply an indicator of God's sovereign and predestined plan? Now, if you say it's not, then what do you have to- what comes along with that? If you don't believe history. Is an indicator, it reveals to us God's predetermined and sovereign plan. If you don't believe that's how you view history, then what do you have to view? God's not in charge. Yeah, God, God is not in charge. Now, you, you could also go that God doesn't know, God's not in charge. You basically remove God from the entire scenario. Now, that may make you feel better. Because when I look at history, I'm not always happy with what, I, is anybody happy with what they see? No. It's a lot of messed up stuff. But either God knew it was going to happen, allowed it to happen, you can even go a step further, directed it to happen, or you remove God, and guess if you remove God, guess what you still have? All of those awful things happen, now you just, is there? A, can you condemn it? I want to make sure you realize that. With God or without God, all of those bad things are going to happen. Everyone can say? Amen. Now, if I don't have God, then what, what if I don't have God, what leaves with God? If, if I tell God to leave, what goes with him? Morality. All right, okay. Now morality will be determined by whom? Remember, what's our options? We go through this all the time. Majority. Minority. Or the individual. So let's go through history. If I look at something horrible, okay, let's talk about slavery. If the majority of the people were for slavery, then can I condemn it? No. Because the majority of the people are for it. If I say, well, the minority determines, okay, then if the minority, let's say the minority was against slavery, so therefore slavery was wrong, I can think of situations right now where there are, people who want to change the age of consent for physical relations so that they can have relations with young children, they are in the minority. I think they're wrong. Yes? Yeah, good. I'm glad you think they're wrong too. Okay, good. All right. That, right. Agreed? So then the minority is not always right. Yes? Or the KKK would be right. So the majority, minority, and then that only leads to the... And then what do you have there? Right. So either, my, either major, morality is determined by the majority, or the minority, or the individual. So if I throw out God, if I look at history, then I have to look at each situation and go, well, the majority of people thought that was okay, so therefore it is. Does anyone look at history that way who throws out God? Absolutely not. We look at history and we condemn them. They were wrong, they were wrong, they were wrong, they were wrong. Tear down that, burn that down, burn that book, cancel it, silence it. Why? Why? Because they believe it was wrong. Well, what makes your morality better than their morality? So if you throw out history being... uh, Now, uh, now listen. Let me make it very clear. When you say history reveals God's predetermined plan, you're going to get some tough questions. Why would God do that? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. Because I don't understand. I don't understand any of it why am I standing here I don't understand why God would create a world where all of this happened people always ask that question well if you believe in predestination then why would why would uh, you know uh, why would God want anyone to go to hell well okay then let's just forget predestination if God is sovereign and knows all things why would he create a world where anything bad was going to happen because no matter how you look at it, who's ultimately responsible for the mess that we're in I mean, I know you're going to say man, but let's be honest. God knew what men were going to do when he created them. So why create them? And you can say, well, he needed companionship. That's garbage because he's perfect in himself. I want you to see that no matter how you look at this, we go back. Either God is in charge or you end up in a culture where there or a world where there is no God. Does that make sense? So, I, I just, I cannot stress that enough that we, we have to look at it from, from that perspective. Okay. Now, we gotta go through this as quickly as we can. Alright. So, the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament writers viewed history as occurring in God's sovereign and predestined plan. The entire idea of prophecy rests upon the, tr- upon this truth. If God does not sovereignly control and predestine whatever comes to pass, then how could he make a statements that are predictive and expect specific results in the future? How can God make prophecy? Why can God give prophecy? This is a basic theological question. Now, only knows he's predetermined. So, do you believe? If you believe in prophecy, what do you believe? Foreknowledge? And predestination, right? That's what you. Yeah. So everyone's cool with God predetermining prophecy. They're just not predetermined. They're just upset if God predetermines has anything to do with our salvation. But in a roundabout way, God's predestination and foreknowledge is how he could. Remember about when we read in the Book of Acts, the people who crucified Christ get blamed for it. Yes, but then he says, "You did so because it was pre." ordained. That is such a crazy text, but that, that we, we've already looked at that multiple times, okay? All right. Now, let's go to the New Testament. The New Testament differs from the Old Testament. The New Testament in no way differs from the Old Testament teaching of predestination. The coming of Jesus, his death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, all fulfills God's eternal plan and purpose. I'm going to give you three scriptures that will look at this, all right? All right. Go to First 1 Peter 120. We've got to do this quickly. First 1 Peter 120. First 1 Peter 1.20. Tell me what you find when you get there. First 1 Peter 120. We'll go, we'll just go through these together. First 1 Peter 120. There's a lot of script. We're just going to have to end this with a whole lot of quoting of scripture here, okay? 1 Peter 1.20, everybody there? And what do we find? 1 Peter 1.20, let's go back to verse 19. But with, a, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So what do we learn about Christ and him coming and to shed his blood? foreordained foreordained now if it was foreordained that mean that, that would we agree if god foreordained it then there was never a time that it was not foreordained that christ would come agreed so if there was never a time that it wasn't foreordained then god has always known that the creation he made was going to fall into sin and he was going to redeem some from what now he could have said christ to save Everyone, right? Some people say, well, that would be, that would be wrong. That would go against the will. So you're saying that you would be upset if God saved everyone against their will, and you would prefer the opportunity that people have a choice to go to hell. So in your mind, it's better that people have a choice to go to hell than God saving everyone. Like, that doesn't make any sense either, Right? So Christ was foreordained. I just want to make sure you realize that. If Christ was foreordained, then it's always been the plan that, Christ, that God was going to send the Son. And if it was always the plan, then what was already known? Man would sin. And God did not do anything to do what? To stop it. In fact, if you look at the situation, he creates the perfect... I mean, what had to happen? He creates Satan as an angelic being, knowing what Satan's going to do. Once Satan falls, what, what, what would God have been right to do? Destroy him. Doesn't. At best, he could have done what? Locked him up in a bottomless pit. But he doesn't do that, does he? He lets, him, he lets him come where? Even if he lets him come to the earth, he could have kept him out of where? But he lets him in. It's not like God was like, what was that that just crawled by? What was that? Oh. Oh. I think that's a snake. Well, you know, now, we think that possibly it had legs at the time. Okay, what just walked by? Okay, it was a snake. How did he get in here? God obviously knew, right? Now, the minute Adam and Eve sinned, what could God have done? That stops everything, right? He didn't. And it waited a very long time before Christ comes along. A very long time before Christ comes on the scene. Thousands of years before Christ comes on the scene. And people say, well, isn't that wonderful? How is that wonderful? Because during that time, what occurred? Death, 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 pain, sickness, disease, war, crime, pain, suffering, and a lot of people dying without ever knowing who? All right, so I just want to make sure there's first Peter 1 120. go to first Corinthians 2 seven. I just want you to see that this issue is not even about it's not even about salvation. I don't know why people get so upset over it. I still don't understand why people get upset over it first Corinthians two seven we've already read it once. We'll read it one more time. but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. All right? Go to uh, Acts 2.23, which we've looked at before, but we're gonna, I'm just going to keep reading. We're going to keep reading these verses over and over and over until y'all have this concept so down that we never have to deal with it again. All right, here we go. Acts 2.23. All right, here's the, ver- here's the verse I told, I told you about. Look, verse 22, he's speaking about whom? Speaking about Jesus. Everybody see that in Acts 2.22? Verse 23, the hymn there is who? Right. Christ was what? Being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of whom? God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Did, did they do wicked deeds in killing Christ? Yes. Who ordained it to happen? God. All right, now there's, oh, there's so many more scriptures here. Um, Look at Acts 4, 27 through 28. I don't even know, I I don't even know why this is so controversial. Acts 4, 27 through 28. Everybody there? For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do what? Whatever, whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So, when it comes to Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, they all did what? What God ordained. God predetermined it, predestined it. Do do we need more? I mean, I mean, how many scriptures do we need to, to, to back this kind of concept up, all right? We know Ephesians 1.11. Let me read it again. He does what? He works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works what things? All things to the counsel of whose will? His will, all right? So therefore, think of it this way. Predestination is thus according to the purpose of God or his will. God predetermines whatever comes to pass for his purpose and his will. What does God predetermine? All things. According to what? Two things. His purpose, his will. His purpose, his will. His purpose, his will. Does, does, does he take into consideration what you may think about that? All right, now, in other places in the New Testament, I mean, we're already at 12. See if we can, man, can we finish this? No, we cannot finish this. All All right, let's see if we can just get at least a little bit here, all right? In other places in the New Testament, predestination has to do with those who were chosen, all right? Now, they got some scriptures here. I don't know how well these are gonna work. Let's look at them. I'm gonna have you tell me what you find. Go to Mark chapter 13, Verse 20, and tell me what you see there. I'm going to have you tell me. All right? I'm not going to read it. Mark 13, 20. Mark 13, Mark 13, 20. Tell me what you find. Mark 13, 20. If it's not helpful, then we'll, we'll throw it out. Mark 13, 20. When I say throw it out, we're not going to throw it out of the Bible, obviously, but throw it out of this discussion. All right so the elect according to mark 13:20 the elect includes people whom he has chosen elect accords to chosen right everybody see that right Right. And why well, it shows him a char- he's in control of everything but the key is predestination has to do with those who are chosen who are also referred to as the elect. If God elected something then he has chosen something and if he knows everything in advance then he has known and chosen those people when? In advance. Would that make sense? You just put it all together. Does God know everything? Does he know everything before it happens? Yes. So if he knows everything... Then he predetermines everything. So if there is a group of people called the elect, then he chose them and that choice would have to go along with his knowledge and his predetermining things before they happen. Yes? You see how it just all fits together? All right? Go to another passage here. Go to Matthew 12:18. Matthew 12:18, and again, you tell me what you find. See if you can put it together. Uh, That's going back to a a fulfillment of a prophecy made in Isaiah. See it in verse 17? All right. So what do we have here? Behold my servant whom I have chosen. It's the idea of God choosing something. If he chooses something, the the choosing has to be connected to what other concepts? His foreknowledge. Yes? And his predetermining beforehand. All right. You you see how it all fits together? Okay. Okay. Um, let's continue. Elsewhere, it is summed up in such passages. No, and, and, well, let's go to Romans. We'll go back to Romans 8. They want us to go back to Romans 8. That, we'll go back there. All right. Go to Romans 8. <laughs> Romans 8. The kids are, are, are out of control. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now stop right there. As soon as you go to verse... Everyone loves verse 28. Doesn't everyone love verse 28? But what has to occur if everything's going to work together for good for them who love God and those who are called according to His purpose? Well, the main thing is God's got to be in charge, right? If He's going to work all things good, then who has to be in charge? God. What would that require? Knowledge and predestination, predetermining, yes? Okay. So I just, everyone, no one has a problem with that. Everyone, everyone seems okay with that verse. I don't know why, because that immediately starts getting you set up. Because look, notice the way it goes. So he, he says that all things are going to work together for them who love God, for those who are what? I think Bobby said it. Who are called according to his purpose. So that not, not everything's going to work out for good for everyone. For those who who love God are called according to his purpose, right? And then, for whom? Now it starts setting it up. For whom he did what? For no, he also did predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Now, please note, who he predestinates. So every person God predestinates, what happens? Look at verse 30. For every person God predestinates, what does he do? He calls. And every person he calls Stop right there. Is everyone justified? Is everyone going to be justified? Okay? Well, I'm just saying even from the Bible, when you get to the end, are there people in hell? All right. So not everyone's going to be justified, correct? So if not everyone is justified, that would mean that whatever that calling is, is everyone going to be called? Because those he calls, he what? And those who are justified and those who are called are those he... No, go back to the previous. What comes before the calling? So predestination involves a calling and a justifying. I I didn't write it. I want to make sure everybody says I did not write that. Is everyone justified? No. So if everyone now, for every person who's justified is called. So if not everyone is justified, then not not everyone is called. Correct. Now if that means we have to understand this calling may be different than another calling. Yes, we immediately have to draw a distinction. Correct, because because you end up in universalism if you're not careful. Now, if God doesn't justify everyone, that means he doesn't call everyone. And if he doesn't call everyone, then what's the logical conclusion? He doesn't... There you go. I I, I know that... I, I just think that logically, I don't know how you can't just end up going, wait a minute, I got a problem here. Now, you may not like it, I want to make it very clear. I don't like it. I didn't embrace this theology because I liked it. Now, I'll never forget when when I got called into the office and I didn't know what was getting ready to happen and I go walking in and there's all the, the men that were at the, you know, Becca's first birthday and... You know, I thought we were just having a good discussion about doctrine and theology, and then they run to the church, and next thing you know, I'm supposedly a Calvinist, and I don't get told what's getting ready to happen. So they're all prepared. I'm not prepared. you got to love that. Love how Christians handle conflict, right? Give me some, you know, idea. I come walking in, and I realize immediately, oh, this is a setup. I'm getting ready to be taken down, right? So, and it, it doesn't take long that all of a sudden the accusations just start boom, 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 boom. But in all of the accusations, guess what I'm hearing? that they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Like, it's one thing to say, wait a minute, you're studying, you know, the pastor could have called me up there in private, correct? I said, hey, I hear you have some questions about the doctrine of predestination. Hey, let's discuss it. But no, 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 no. I wasn't given that kind of privilege. No, 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 because that's not how Christians handle things. It's here to, it's here to, get rid of me, right? It's going to be to destroy me. Well, the more they talk, the more they real, I realize they don't even know what they're talking about. They're, they don't even have an elementary understanding. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I'm just saying that clearly they don't know what they're talking about because they were saying things. Now, remember, you talk about, oh, when it comes to Christians and reading, I sometimes... I believe Christian is a religion that hates books. I don't even know why we have a Bible, because we don't believe in written revelation, obviously. But that's the church that right up there by the pulpit, they had their little altar for the Lord's Supper, and every about two months, guess what they said up there? Stacks of these little booklets that kind of look like this, like our, our songbook here, and it was Spurgeon sermons. Now, you know what I did? Oh, I was gonna read them, right? You giving me free books? Yeah. So I took them. I was reading, 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 reading. And guess what I kept finding over and 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 over? Doctrine of election. Because Spurgeon was a Calvinist. Okay, Now this is a church that hates Calvinism, handing out pro-Calvinistic sermons. Why? Because nobody was gonna actually read them, right? So I had them all marked. I had them all marked, had them tabbed, had them underlined, right? So When I say that they didn't even know what they were talking about, they were saying things that were in direct conflict to the very sermons that they were handing out. Does not anyone find that humorous? It's to me. I'm, I'm again. That's this. Also, the church. When I first came in, and I was carrying an NIV, and they were KJV only, and they handed me a book going, "Hey, hey, you need to read this because you need to understand the NIV is bad." And I, I took it home and read the book, and it was a book arguing against the King James Holy Movement. <laughs> Seriously, so like they they were horrible at this, right? And then one of the men in the church at his work, he had a, a news article <laughs> that's that he thought, you know, told everyone how bad Halloween was, right, you know. So he had this article, said everybody in his work, and he showed me the article, and I'm like, uh, dude, that's mocking people who think. <laughs> that's mocking you, that you're putting an article up that mocks you. What are you doing? Because they, I guess they were incapable of reading comprehension. I don't know. But so so I'm sitting there going, what are you guys talking about? So I start trying to argue that not for Calvinism, I'm trying to argue for their, against their misrepresentation of Calvinism because at this point, I haven't even determined if it's something I should believe or not believe because I don't even like the idea of Calvinism. I just want to know what the Bible says, right? So the argument's going, the argument's going, everybody's getting mad, people raising their voices. I'm getting really frustrated because I just want to start screaming, can you people read a book? right? I just want to lose my mind, right? And then finally, the pastor has, he pulls out his ace up his sleeve, right? Ooh, he's going he's gonna to take me down, right? So guess what, what do you do when you can't win an argument based off, I don't know, the text of scripture, the definition of words? What do you res- resort to? Emotions. So he gets all somber. Gets all somber. So what are you going to do if your children, I'm not one of the elect. What does that have to do with the doctrine? I don't reject the doctrine because it may have a negative impact on my life, right? Hey, Job, what would you do if God killed your children? Does that disprove God? God? I mean, right? I mean, God's the one who set the whole situation up, right? Does everybody understand what I mean by God, right? I mean, God's the one who said, hey, have you considered my servant? And who gave Satan the right and the ability to do so? So ultimately, Satan was the secondary cause, but who's the ultimate or primary cause behind it? Just because you don't like the doctrine of election or the doctrine of election, let me, let me, let me I'll go a step further. Forget election. What if your child ends up in hell? Do you reject the doctrine of hell because of that? No. Now I have watched Christians. I've watched Christians long enough that I know the game, you know. If someone in your family dies, guess what? Everybody goes to heaven. I mean, a mass school shooting? Everybody goes to heaven. The Twin Towers 9/11? Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody goes to hell other than bad people, right? People you don't like, right? People over there, they go to hell. But when it comes to, oh, it doesn't matter who they are. I mean, I watched it at my father's funeral. I, mean, I, was, I like, They were describing a person whom I didn't even know existed. You know, he raised his children in the fear and admonition of, the, what? I'm looking around going, wait, who, who's up in the casket? Can we open the casket? Because that's clearly not my dad. Why? But if I, and the minute I raise the question, that whoa, 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 I'm not so. All of a sudden, I'm the bad guy. Well, I'm the bad guy. I kind of lived there, you know. I, I kind of had a pretty good experience. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of, li- I kind of know. Now, yes. Later on, did my dad listen to sermons? Yeah, he listened to sermons. Did he read his Bible some? Yes. Did he? At one point, he attended church at a church that's so whacked and messed up that, you know. I wouldn't. That wouldn't call that Christianity. I mean, if Christianity drove up in the parking lot of that church, they wouldn't even recognize it. That's how messed up it was, right? Okay, so yeah, can I try to cling to something? I can try to cling to something, but guess what? I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? I can't make something true because of an emotional reaction. What determines truth? What's the definition of truth? What's the definition of truth? Oh, come on. We're all Christians. Everybody here should know the definition. Everyone look it up. If you need to look it up, please look up the definition of truth. Typically, truth is defined something like this, that which corresponds to reality. Okay, that's a basic idea, right? Okay, so guess what doesn't determine what is true? Emotions, feelings, wants, desires, right? I may want, I may desire to be a better basketball player than Kobe ever was. It's not going to happen, all right? One, I'm short, and two, he had more athletic ability in his thumb than I will ever have. Whatever accomplishments I ever had athletically were could not ever compare to what he could do. I mean, he was in the NBA. What seventeen? Whenever he got in the NBA, I mean, give me a break. All right, Why watch? Doesn't make sense. There's a reality. Does that make sense? So when it comes to this doctrine, people uh, rever- they, they, just, they lose their minds and they start worrying about, well, what about this and what about that? Here's what I know. Here, and I want to make sure everyone understands this, because this creates such a controversy. Predestination I'll, I'll do it this way, and we'll end this way, right? I want to go back to some more scriptures, but we're out of time. Let me do it this way. Everyone believes in predestination to some level, right? They have to. Do people believe God chose Israel? Does God believe, Do they believe in biblical prophecy? Yeah, so there's predestination and foreknowledge involved. So everyone believes in it in some way. Where does everyone get upset? When it comes to salvation. Now let me make it very clear. Whether you believe in predestination, whether you believe in the freedom of man's will, therefore basically becoming a Pelagian or semi-Pelagian, Here's the reality of the situation. I want to make sure everybody understands the reality of the situation. Who is saved? Well, we'll we'll say it in a different way. Who's saved? Those who are justified. How does one become justified? I'm I'm just saying, let's leave out all of the Calvinistic language. Believe in Christ. All right, very good. So, let me make it very clear. The only people who are going to be saved are people who put their faith in Christ. Yes? So what is our job? Share the gospel to anyone and everyone we can whenever we have an opportunity. Right? Who's going to get saved? Those who put their faith in Christ. Everyone can agree on that. Now, from a theological, eternal perspective, the question is, why did they believe? Free will or because God predestined and chose? People want to argue about it and get upset. I don't understand, because whether you believe in predestination or you don't believe in predestination, you have one person. Here's Bobby. You have one person. Either he believes or he doesn't believe. Whether I believe he believes because God predestined or I believe because he chose himself, that's a theological question that has to be answered. But the bottom line is, either he believes or he doesn't believe. Correct? So from an earthly perspective, my job is just to present the gospel. If he believes, amen. We're trying to figure out why Bobby believes. Or why Bobby doesn't believe. Correct? So that, that's, where the, that's where all of this other information comes into play. So over here, from an earthly perspective, what do we see? We see people, and some believe and some don't believe. Correct? Who is saved? Those who believe. Who's not saved? And so all all we try to do is present the gospel. That's this perspective. Everyone see that? Is there anything controversial about that? No. Does everyone, Calvinist, non-Calvinist, do we all act the same way? We should present the gospel, correct? Now, we get over here. Now where are we entering? We're entering into the throne room of heaven, right? And now we're like, okay, God, you know everything, You predetermine everything. How does that impact down here? I don't know why people get upset that we want to go into the throne room and ask these questions because these questions are not brought up because people are sitting in seminary and they're bored. They're brought up because they're mentioned where? So my job is to take the text and go, okay, now what's going on here? Okay, God, so... So you predetermine everything that comes to pass? Man, let me go look at the world. Whoa. Are you sure you predetermine everything that comes to pass? Because there's a lot of bad stuff going on down there. Right? But guess what? Is the bad stuff going to happen whether God predetermined it or didn't predetermine it? And from our view, it's still going to happen from my perspective, right? I'm just trying to understand how that makes sense with a God who knows everything and is all-powerful. Yes? Do people not believe in Christ and I and go to hell? Lord, you predetermined everything. You know everything. You created. Why would you create a world where anyone could even go to hell? Is that a wrong question to ask? No, it's a right question to ask because the Bible brings these issues up. Yes, but do you see? All I want to make sure everyone gets so upset, and I don't know why they get upset. All you're doing is you're coming over here asking the hard questions. But as far as our everyday way we conduct ourselves, it, ca- it carries on the normal way, right? Preach the gospel to everyone. Those who believe are saved. Those who are not are what? Not. Now, do we need to have these deep theological discussions? Yes, because the text demands that we have them. But what, people lose their minds. So let's say we got two people in the room, right? right? We have Miss Goodlett, we have Bobby, Right? Okay, now, Bobby says, well, the reason people believe is because God chose them and elected them. Ms. Goodluck's like, that's garbage. I completely, I believe in free will. All right, they have a disagreement about what? They're, they have a disagreement about what's going on in heaven. They're, they're in a disagreement about what, what God is doing in the throne room. As far as from here, how should they perceive this? Should she believe Bobby is a Christian? Bobby's Christianity is not determined on what he believes about Romans 8. What is it determined? Is he trusting in Christ and Him alone for salvation? Should he see her as not a Christian because she, you know, doesn't believe that in in, in election? No, because her salvation is not dependent upon her doctrinal stance. It's dependent on well, her doctrinal stance as far as it relates to Christ and Him crucified. Right? Does that make sense? Now, there's a disagreement there. Now, what should both of them be doing? Well, presenting the gospel to people, right? She's presenting the gospel hoping that people will believe. Hopefully she's not going to use manipulative and messed up techniques. Now, sometimes that side will start doing weird things to try to get people saved because I think if they say a prayer that it works. But So there may be a, dis, a disagreement and evangelistic methods, but there's going to be the idea that everyone, they want to get the gospel to as many people as possible. So there should be no major conflict there. Why do people get so upset? Because in some cases, in some cases, Free will churches, Bobby would be kicked out, and some Reformed churches, Miss Goodlet would be kicked out. I don't understand why there's conflict. I don't. I don't. I don't get upset about that. My thing is, look. Okay, we, we have a disagreement over here, what's going, on? now we need to work this out, we need to work it out, and we, we need to discuss it, and you may never agree, but over here from a practical standpoint, it doesn't, it, you see, it just works according to the way it's supposed to work. Does that make sense? I, I want you to see that, because uh, you always get these, like, people get really bothered by this stuff, and I don't understand why they get bothered. We're dealing over here with the throne room, yes? You know what, some people are comfortable to just sit here in the pew, they don't want to go into the throne room. They don't want those questions. So when they read the book of Job, they they approach it completely different than I do because when I read the book of Job, I'm not only am I in the throne room, I'm in the throne room throwing a fit because I don't understand what in the world's going on there, right? When I read Genesis 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I start throwing a fit right there because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know what's coming after verse one. Why would you create this mess? Some people have no problem with that. Oh, isn't it beautiful that God created everything? Isn't it beautiful? And you're like, are you out of your mind? But they, know, they don't ever want to get Where? They they want to put a big keep out police tape across the throne room and we're never to enter into it. But I can't help it. The Bible drags me into the throne room and makes me ask these difficult questions. Don't get upset with the people asking the difficult questions if you're content to sit there in the pew twiddling your thumbs. Somebody's got to go into the throne room and deal with these very big questions because you know what? Christians may want to sit in the pew twiddling their thumbs and never ask the tough questions, but there's atheists and skeptics and agnostics who are asking the tough questions. So you've got to be prepared to deal with it. Does that make any sense? So foreknowledge, God knows, he knows beforehand, He ordains. Predestination, as God predetermines everything that comes to pass, for what two purposes? His purpose and his will. There we go. All right, we'll stop right there. All right, Lord God, we come before you this morning, this afternoon now, Lord, and we thank you that we, I can be in a church where we can talk about these tough things without people getting upset, because there's plenty of people who, when they hear this, will get frustrated and get upset, and there's plenty of churches where they couldn't even talk about this without having problems. Thank you, and I just pray that you continue to allow us to be a church where we can do these types of things, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,